Good evening and welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Series, Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. Joke teller tonight. And I'm James, sorry. And this is AA approved joke, so don't roast me. Um, when I first came around, I told my sponsor that I drank vodka because you couldn't smell it on my breath and that I ate mints just in case. My sponsor asked me if I knew what vodka and breath mints smelled like. I said, no what? He said, vodka and breath mints. Hi, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Trey. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might slash will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you to stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everyone ready? Yep. Okie doke. If so, let's start the meditation.
Okie doke. Please join me in the fog light prayer. It is on both screens. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There's a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Reuben to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Good evening, everyone. My name is Reuben, and I am an alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. It is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experience experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first in the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means a rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner, inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our most religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent uh, denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is, a principle with, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Okie doke. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane-slash-meeting mode or just turn off. 
I have the pleasure to introduce Peter. I would like to say it's very refreshing to see somebody with passion uh, and inspiration. So thank you. Peter, recovered alcoholic. And uh, oh, turn our will and life over the care of God. We did that on 95 coming down here. Uh, for you tourists on uh, Zoom, we're drowning tonight. Florida's underwater. Um, it was pretty frightening coming down here. Um, and before we get going, I just want to make a, a note to a shout out to Mike Chase, who had, I think, 17 years this week. Yes, 17 years. Congratulations, Michael. Yeah. We have a, a lot of wonderful, trusted servants uh, who put this thing together. They, these guys get here really early and don't leave till way after the meeting's over, and they do a great job. Um, and I don't want to make anyone bigger than the group, but uh, Michael's the cat, Mike Chase is the catalyst who got this whole thing off the ground years ago in another location. And... Uh, uh, with the trusted servants, keep the lights on. So for me, this is, this is the best group in South Florida. I love this place. I love coming down here. I love the way it looks. I've said this a million times. The vibe is good. The folks are more than friendly. And um, so it trickles down. So Mike Chase, I love you, and thank you, and congratulations. Um, yeah. uh, June 23rd. Uh, smattering of applause. Um, June 23rd, 1988 is when God separated me from alcohol. I'm very uh, grateful for this gift of sobriety. And uh, as always, uh, grateful to talk about the news, the good news that was brought uh, to me. Um, when the heart was open enough to hear it, um, the news was being brought to me, uh, treatment center after treatment center, by some wonderful folks who serve, did service for H&I. They would come into this, this uh, treatment center I was in in Amityville, Long Island. Um, it was one of the big private psych hospital that happened to have a ward for people like us. And uh, because of um, uh, my dad's insurance and the money he had, as how I was able to go there seven times, otherwise I would have been in serious trouble. Um, but these folks would bring meetings in um, and talk about recovery from Alcoholics Anonymous, and I really uh, didn't want to hear it. There was a huge inconvenience for me. I had other plans and designs, and I think I shared last week, I used to watch Miami Vice, and they would come in on a Friday night, and I didn't want them to interrupt me watching my higher power, Don Johnson, for an hour. So uh, it, it was just one big you know, annoyance, these recovery folks who talk about going bowling on a Friday night and spending times in a diner, and they went to an AA picnic, and I was like, yeah, get a life already. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm dying of alcohol. So I don't have a job. I don't have a girlfriend. You know, I'm like 40 pounds underweight, and the whole, I got the whole thing going on, and I'm finding fault with them. And uh, no one wants to come near me. The only guy who uh, um, figuratively put his hands on me to, to pull me out of hell and bring me to a treatment center was my dad. No one wanted to touch me. And I'm finding fault and taking inventory, and these sober people are walking in. I would bet... Uh, uh, money that they were high coming in or drunk. They were getting paid for it. There had to be an angle. No one, no one gives up a night to walk into a treatment center or a detox to speak to people like me without getting something in return. I didn't know they were getting another day sobriety in return until 1988 showed up. And something changed. 
And I've tried to explain that over the years, but when we talk about a God experience, there are no words, there are no adjectives. We tell a story the best we can. It would be like me going to Niagara Falls and coming back and trying to tell you about Niagara Falls. And I can even show you photos off my phone to, to illustrate what I experienced. But until you go there, you really don't know. And uh, when it comes to God, it's even more difficult or God experience. But I've tried over the years, like all of us, to tell a story. But something shifted. And it began my this spiritual awakening we talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous. You get a sponsor, you go through the big book, and you follow the instructions and follow the, what the sponsor says. It will put your hand in God's hand, and we will have this personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. We will be changed from the inside out. We will have this spiritual awakening as the result of the 12 steps. It's almost like an assembly line. It's a, it, it happens. And we can grow and understand the effect we can enhance that experience. There's no limit to it. But if we think about it, because we live like photos, we start to understand it backwards. Yeah? My experience, this transformation, this shift, this, this movement began when I didn't think anything was going to happen other than I was about to take my last breath. And that was June 23rd, 1988, in the back of an abandoned building hallway. I've shared this many times. Um, I was really at the bitter end. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I just didn't want to die. But that was the catalyst. That turned the switch on. It didn't feel godly, sound godly, look godly. I certainly didn't smell godly. But it was very godly looking back on it now. Because it was a moment of desperation screaming louder than the ego. And I wasn't trying to get sober to get her back, get a job back. There was no angle. There were no options, no reservations, no hooks to hold on to. There was nothing. And in, in, in a way, I, I, I tried to share, I, I felt like if I get a drink in me, which I really need at that moment, I'm going to die. And if I don't get a drink in me, I'm going to die. And I, I was feeling like, this is it. I've met the end. I'm going to just keel over and die. And that, as awful as it is, was a place I needed to be. Because in that place, we get surrendered. I wasn't surrendering because I need to go to detox and treatment and AA and get a sponsor and get all my life back. I want to get my life back. I don't want my life back. I didn't have a life coming in here. Whatever I was doing was in existence and was awful. I don't want my life back. It's a, we sometimes see it's a bridge back to life. If that works for you, great. I don't know, I get what that means. A bridge back what? To an abandoned building? That was my life. A bridge back to panhandling and not bathing? I, I, no, I don't want that. I was sharing with, uh, Michael had sent, Mike Chase had sent me, I keep calling him Michael, Mike Chase had sent me something, and I says, my life really began to live in 1988. I mean, I had a childhood, I had the, uh, the, the teenage years, which were just a disaster area, and, and then there was all the addiction years, and I really began to live in 1988. And at the beginning, it didn't feel like much. I didn't had no clue what was going on. Everything up was down, down was up. I was an array of emotions. You know, I watch Bugs Body cartoons and be crying. You know, and I'm happy at one o'clock, and I, I want to die at two o'clock. And this is this whole thing we go through. But I began to live in 1988. But that shift, that that thing that that happens to uh, most of us if not all of us, happened what felt like the worst moment of my life in 1988 in the back of a hallway. I got surrendered. Now, for a long time, I would tell you I surrendered, and that was, there was some truth to that. That's what I believed. 
But again, <coughs> pardon me, the longer around, the, the truth is true until we see a new truth. Um, I didn't have the ability to surrender. I really didn't. To get to a place where I give up, I quit, I can't do it on my own. And, you know, the, um, the arrest we, we take and we bounce back. Getting beat up, we take and we bounce back. The, 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 the relationships breaking up, we take and we bounce back. The getting ripped off and ripping people off, we take and we get back. But there's, and, and it hurts, and they're all needed to get me to a bottom, but there's something else that goes on. It's the emotional bottom. And in part, it felt and looks like the realization that I cannot go on anymore like this. And even further, I can't get me out anymore. I can't. I've tried everything to turn the screw this way and turn the screw that way, manage and control. But the realization, this doesn't come from the mind, by the way, because that would have me dead or drunk, comes from deep in the soul that I cannot, I've met my match, I'm overwhelmed, alcohol is my master, I am done. I cannot get out. And I, now I want to get out. I just don't have the power, the know-how, the insight. I don't even know how to surrender. I'm just in a place of, I'm done. Something comes scoop me up, and that was God who was begging to have a relationship with me for the longest time as he is now. And so the journey began. It was bumpy. You know, I wasn't one of these guys came in 90 days and I'm all glossy and tell you how grateful I am. And I'm in my fourth step making amends. I'm speaking all over the world. It, it was messy. I didn't talk for about six months. One doctor uh, who I went to visit uh, on an amends, he says, and uh, reflecting, he said, I was close to medicating you. He's because you didn't talk. You didn't move. You were stoic. I could have told you bad news or good news. You wouldn't have moved. There was no one home. And that, that was my condition in the early days. The only thing I remember clearly doing was uh, when um, uh, my, I was wearing my brother's clothes. And um, I remember I wanted to keep them clean. And even though the pants were too tight and the sneakers too small and the jacket just about zipped up, I was washing my jeans almost every day or every other day and putting them in the dryer in treatment because I wanted to feel clean clothes on me because I lived in a, in a filthy hallway and I didn't bathe for a long time. And I'd scrub the sneakers if they got a little scuff mark on them because I didn't want to look like that guy anymore. So it's little things like that. And I, I made sure I showered at least once a day because I didn't bathe for a long time, and so I was in the shower first thing in the morning. And, and I used to love to take a shower before I got into a bed in treatment with clean sheets. This was like, I'm living at the Ritz-Carlton, I'm in treatment. <laughs> and if I'm hungry, I can go down to the cafeteria and have little snacks out. And if it's 11 o'clock at night and I want a little sack, I can go down and I'm not going to get arrested. I don't have to lift anything. I just go in and take an apple. This was in. in Absolutely crazy, crazy for me. This was insane. I can't believe this. No one's after me. So as difficult and challenging as they were, there was, there was some gratitude behind this stoic person that I had turned into. I was afraid to show emotion at the beginning. Uh, someone might think less of me. If I cried, you might think I'm, I, I'm less than. What I walked was, I think, was a deep in a rage. I was ready to go off at any minute, but it just didn't come out. It, nothing would come out. Nothing would go in, but I was listening. 
And I remember uh, one time, uh, it was, oh, God, it had to be after midnight, and I'm tossing and turning, and I went down to where the receptionist was, and they would always had these counselors, bless their hearts, and what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I need to talk to somebody. And um, I was sitting in this woman's office, and I'll never forget her. I, her name was Helen, and um, she was talking to me, and the dam broke. And I couldn't stop crying. I didn't even know what I was crying over. But I couldn't stop. And she thought it was the most wonderful thing in the world. You know, these people, all these therapists, they love it. You're showing emotion. This is wonderful. You're making progress. <laughs> you know, I'm ready to go postal. And they're going, way to go. You know? uh, she thought it was wonderful because I finally came alive. And I remember being incredibly drained, but very light the next day. I was traveling light for the first time. I've said this a million times when we get sober at the beginning, we have a 50-gallon drum of tears that need to go. And we try, especially the men, we try to hold on to that. I'm not going to cry. It's, it's got to happen. It's funny, I'm not afraid to laugh in front of friends, but God forbid I should cry. And the two emotions are like a hair apart, you know. Um, and so the journey began, and um, after a year of living in Minnesota, I, I, I was brought home, invited back home by my dad, of all people. Uh, he said, you want to come home? I said, I don't know. I kind of like it out here in Minnesota. I have a home group. I have some friends. I got a little sponsor. I'm doing these little AA jobs. You know, I'm driving car service in, in Minneapolis now. There was no GPS, and there was no phones, so I had no idea where I was going. So that's the people. Tell me how to get there. That job didn't last too long. Uh, I remember they, I got a, a lawn mowing job, and I mowed half the state of Minnesota because I, you know. Um, but I was doing something, you know, making some pocket money and making my way, not knowing these are all little pieces of the puzzle that wasn't reflecting my potential, but they're pieces of the puzzle to get me to point B, to points and so on. The little odd jobs I was working. I had good work ethic, I found. I've always worked. I've always worked hard. I didn't know that was the beginning of it. I like the idea that if I had maybe at the end of the week 40 extra bucks in my pocket, that I can order a pizza and pay for it, and it was my food. And I can share it with others. I found I was charitable. You know, we used to order at this halfway house in Cochran, in Cochran, in Hastings, Minnesota. We at night was a big thing. All the guys who work would order Domino's pizza. You think we were big shots? In a halfway house, that's a big thing. When you're pooling your money for a cup of coffee, and so I was able to get two of them, and I divvy it out among people. I didn't think much of it, but God gave me a charitable heart right, and that hasn't stopped. I give till it hurts sometimes. So I had no idea God was already working in my life. Uh, when I got a sponsor, a real big book guy, uh, that's what happened to me when I got back to Brooklyn, New York, and I was taken to my first home group, the Free Spirit Group, and um, I'll always be grateful for the lessons I got there, and some of them were painful lessons. And I'll be grateful to my first sponsor for the lessons he taught me, and some of them were painful. But he was on fire when I met him, this guy Tony, and... Um, um, he'd walk in a room and you knew he was in the room and he talked out, out of the book. And he wasn't well received in a lot of AA groups in, in Brooklyn because he talked out of the book. It was a lot of put the plug in a jug, don't worry about the steps, don't do a fourth step, that kind of stuff. And he was coming at him, you know, how long you're sober? 60 days, you should be in amends. He was one of those guys. 
but he spoke truth and God put him in my path. And we were two unlike what people normally would not mix. We would not mix out there. Uh, but here we were in AA, shoulder to shoulder, and we began. And I, I shared a few weeks ago, I had no clue the depth of alcoholism until this guy took me through the book. And I realized how, how deep the roots of alcoholism go. And I worked through my first step with him. I got a real good understanding and a bit of a shift that this is serious business, that I can be suffering from alcoholism without ever putting a drink in me. My alcoholism does not come in a bottle of whiskey. See, I thought it was came in a bottle of whiskey. If I'm not drinking, I'm a winner. That's not true. I'm, I'm doing better. I'm not drunk. I'm not disorderly, hopefully. I shouldn't be getting arrested, but I know a lot. I've been around long enough to know people who are not drinking are still disorderly and getting arrested. And they have a whole secret life that AA doesn't know about that's not very spiritual. So I'm like acting like a drunk without a drink in me. And this requires a different way of living. I'm not managerial quality. I have no business managing my life. Even with 35 years sober, I do not manage my life. And when I know I'm managing my life, I can feel the weight. There's this thing in here. I say, what are you doing? When did you take over? When did you become CEO? My sponsor calls the ego. You know, we need an ego, he would say. It serves a purpose, but it's, 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 it's a non-voting board member. He doesn't get a chance to vote anymore. God does all the votes. So he's there, but he's just there. He's not running the business meeting. I could act like a drunk without a drink in me, and I will tell you, during my first six months, I had moments like that. During my first year, I had this secret thing going on, and it was killing me. It was, I always share about this. I developed this eating disorder. I'm binging and purging. If anyone knows that, what I'm talking about, you, you have to go any further. It was painful. It was secretive. I found comfort and, and, and control in food, but I would gorge, and I found the same sort of freeing, getting rid of, uh, and there was a lot more to it, in the purging, to the point of getting ill and losing weight, and it was just messy. And I went to another fellowship, my sponsor, who was part of it, I never knew it, took me through the steps with that. And thank the good Lord, that's been arrested for a long time now. But that's what my illness does. It goes underground and resurfaces in other areas. Uh, alcoholism doesn't come in a bottle of whiskey. My alcoholism gets a life by taking mine. It doesn't have to be whiskey. It doesn't have to be drugs. It could be other stuff, sex, food, gambling. It'll get me. And I'll minimize and justify all of it away because it's me. I know what I'm doing. I'm in control. I'm just having some fun. I'm just dabbling. It's not that bad. Then how come I can't talk about it from the podium to a room full of drunks because there's a problem with it? So I got this secret life going on, and that's what happened to me with the food. And I, I think I shared this uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was in seven treatment centers, and they had an eating, I'll call it the sort of ward. And, and uh, they would come over for the AA H&I meetings at night, and they were all ladies that came over. So I thought, in this wonderful, bright Einstein mind of mine, that... An eating disorder was strictly a gender issue, it was a woman issue, not a men's issue. So when I'm doing this, I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? I got a woman's problem. I, I definitely can't tell anybody. And then my sponsor came to me when, when we were talking. He says, why do you think I go to this other fellowship for this many years? I got the same thing you got. Whew, I'm not alone. And I walked into this meeting. There were men and women, just like us, doing the 12 steps with another fellowship. 
the depths of alcoholism. And we began this journey and, um, uh, you know, looking at the, the first 43 pages of the book into step two, which was a pointer out. I learned that the insanity was in step one. Me trying to manage my life was step one problem. Me, me running your life was a step one problem. Me trying to control what's not controllable, the external world, people, plays, and things was a step one problem. I had no business doing that. I had to be brought to a place of I have no control. I have no business controlling anything. I have just enough problem get my own shoes on. Now I'm going to control you. And the ego says, well, you're sober like five or ten years now. You have a right to do that. I don't. Because I'm pushing God. I God, thanks for the first five years or ten years. Of trying. I got it now. And based on my track record, I know I'm not a CEO for recovery. I'm not upper management. I need to be in the basement folding envelopes. That's safe. Keep them there. Let God make the decisions. It isn't until I get to the 11th step, which is the thought life we've placed on a much higher plane, we might think is clearing wrong, wrong motives. Not until the 11th step, assuming I've been thorough with this stuff, where the soul starts to kind of trickle its way up to here, and we go, I think I'll help homeless people. I think I'll go extend my hand. To, I think I'll sponsor that person. They need one. I'm not going to run this red light. It's wrong. It's illegal. So at that point, I don't need rules and regulations to keep me in line. I got spiritual muscles that keep me in line. Because we all know rules and laws are part of society, but they really don't keep people in line. Spiritual muscles keep me in line. I like the effect produced by that. I get to step three, which I'm supposed to talk about tonight. Uh, made a decision. You know, step three, uh, we really see it... Uh, we can give it. We can give testimony to step three. It, it's it, it, it's credibility. It's depth. It's power. Is really shown what happens to me going four through nine, because other than that, it's just a, sitting with the sponsor doing step three. I'm going to turn my will and life over to care of God, whatever that means, and that's all that happens. And I sit on my fourth step for six months. Then I relapse and say I got to get back to that fourth step. But really, the power of step three at the beginning is the four through nine walk, because that's who's moving me through the desperation I experienced in step one. Step three, my experience has been this. It can be a great promise, a great road to recovery. I'm off. I'm uplifted. I'm rocketed. And it could be my worst nightmare. If I follow four through nine, I'll experience freedom. And if I don't, I'm going to go back to doing what I always did. Our book talks about being rocketed. It's a powerful word. It's a description Bill used. Being rocketed to this fourth dimension of existence. I don't know what that is until I get there. That's the God dimension. That's why I'm traveling light. Because I'm no longer dominated by three dimensions. That's all my obsessions, all my compulsions, and all my emotions. Because I can worship my emotions thinking I'm worshiping God. I've done it. If I feel sad, I'm not spiritual. If I feel happy, I must be spiritual. No, today you just said, yesterday you were happy. It's really, that's the way it goes. You ever do that? You wake up and you just feel really good today, and things are just clicking. You got a little pimp in your step, as my friend Ralph calls it, and you're feeling really happy and super grateful for a bowl of oatmeal, oatmeal, and you're going, I'm so spiritual. And you wake up the next day, and the same events happen, and you just can't get out of your own way. I'm doing something wrong. It's just the ebb and flow of life. And I cannot, I have found, I cannot judge my spiritual progress based on emotions. There's times I've been, I can look back and say, I was really working at spirituality, I was really leaning in on God, and I wasn't feeling good at all. 
I was flat broken going through a divorce. My world was ending, and I had more spiritual muscle then than the day before. So I can't attach emotions to this. I walk into home group, I walk into a meeting, get the handshakes and the pats on the back. That feels good. And I think I'm some spiritual giant now. And I walk into another meeting, no one says hello, and I must be a loser. What a lousy way to live life. That's living like an alcoholic. I'm dependent on the external things to fix me in here. Step three erases all of it. It's either me and God or nothing. God's got to be everything or else, big, big, big book says, he's nothing. Can't have a little bit of God in the meeting and be, you know, Romeo out there. I can't be a thief out there and come in here and be spiritual for an hour. If spiritual doesn't touch every single area of my life, it touches none of my life because alcoholism got into every nook and cranny. Every nook and cranny. So spiritual has got to get back in there and clean it out. Am I willing to do that walk? Am I willing to let go of controlling? I walked in with control issues. We all do. Subtle ways. How come they set up the room this way? What's going on in this meeting? They used to have tables. Who said they can do this? I'm leaving. <laughs> the speaker's supposed to be talking about step one. He's talking about step 11. What is this? Blasphemy. Call the AA police. Get him out of here. You know, that kind of stuff. Always looking to control, inwardly or outwardly. Because I know better. I'm God. Don't you know I'm God? Because I'm an old time in a group. The group's got to bow down. So it's all control. And this control thing that I walk in with is rarely voluntarily uh, uh, relinquished. Oh, I think I'll give up control to usually it's involuntarily shattered when I hit the wall. When I realize here I am running the show again. It's me all over again. I'm talking about God, but I'm God. I'm tearing my will and life over to care of me. How could I meet God if I am God? Now, I don't outwardly say, you know, I'm God, right? I know some AAs who do that. But inwardly, when you're speaking to me, do you realize you're speaking to me? I'm God. And my actions will show that. My words will reflect that. What a horrible place to be. Because the ego will just sneak right in there, and I don't even know it. People are going, what's with this guy? And I'm thinking, what's with you? Am I willing to turn my thought life and my actions over to God? That means everything. Willing. That's all I have to do is be willing. Listen, we're not doing anything yet. You know, like, I'll, I'll, it was posed to me one time, would you be willing to move to another part of the country to get sober? What I hear is I'm moving to another part of the country to get sober. The question, are you willing? We're not going anywhere, but are you willing to go to any lens? We're not even talking about, we don't know what any lens looks like yet, but are you willing to do that? Now, when I was out there, I'd be willing, and my actions showed I, I did it, go to any lens to get drunk. Still, do it. Jump out of a second-story building? What the hell? My actions back that. Now, I come into AA, and I'm going to discern. Well, that makes me uncomfortable, so I'm not doing it. I'm not ready for a fourth step. My emotions are too high. You know, this stuff I've heard. What lengths am I willing to go to? I used to think when it comes to thoughts that I had my thoughts. These are my thoughts. You know, I can't get rid of them. If they're really my thoughts, I'd be able to get rid of them. But they're not. I don't have thoughts. They have me. They lock in and I can't shake them loose. And the only power is going to get in front of that or in the middle of it or tear it away is God to relieve me of the bondage of self. Yeah? 
So am I willing to turn everything over to God? Whatever I think everything is at that moment, the first time I did a third step, I was looking at just the alcohol and the pills and some other things. I'm giving that to God. I didn't know that meant my entire life. But at the beginning, I was willing to do whatever it took. And that is such the the, the key to this whole thing over and over and over again, especially with step three, is willingness to be changed, willing to believe in something other than me, willing to go to an AA meeting, maybe they can help me, willing to try something different, just willing to do it. I'm on my way. A mustard seed of willingness will move a mountain. Am I willing to let go of what is no longer working to try something that does? Do I want to continue living my life Or do I want to live the life God has for me? Add another chapter to my story and make sure everyone hears it over and over and over again. Or do I want to talk about this new life God has given me the good news? How much pain am I in? Am I willing to commit to God even though I don't know who God is? I just know it's not me. It could be the G.O.D. group of drunks with all the erection. I'm going to commit to you guys. A book talks about step 10. We should continue for a lifetime. It's not like a 90-day commitment. It's my life. At the beginning, it's too much to grasp, but I'm willing to, to get here and listen to what you tell me, and I'll do it. I get good early direction from a group of drunks. That's what I did. I knew about the carpenter, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't grasp. That was too far. But I come into a meeting, and I see like a guy like John sitting in the back. I'm going to sit next to John. He's around a long time. Just, just, if he says hello to me, my day's made. I find old timers in the back and just sit with them. They said, kids, sit with us. Oh, my God. Then if they knew your name, I'm levitating. Well, how are you doing? I'm a little this and a little this. Why don't you do this tonight? Why don't you do that tonight? And they gave me instruction. I go home and do them. I'm okay. There was a willingness to be changed. I wasn't a passerby in Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks to step one, I knew the condition I was in. I'm in serious trouble. This is the last house on the block, yeah? I had to be convinced without doubt that my life run on self-will can hardly be a success. I had to be convinced. It's a requirement. There's no requirements. For, hey, you know, the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. Come on in. The program has a lot of requirements. I had to be convinced that my life run on self-will can hardly be a success. How would I get convinced of that? Step one. Okay, keep moving. Self-assist and self-centers, they tell me, is the root of my problems. The roots are underground. I might look good on the outside, but it's coming from a bad place. And if the roots are bad, eventually the fruit will be bad. Something the scripture says, you'll know them by their fruit. Eventually, you'll know it's not good. I'm plotting. I'm manipulating. I have a motive. And as an alcoholic with a motive, I'm considered armed and dangerous. So in our big book on page 62 and 63, it talks about step three, a real consideration. He's the principal. I'm his agent. I work for him. Agents represent God. How are we doing with that? He's the father. I'm the child. What does a parent do? Give their kids everything they need, not everything they want. He's the employer. I work for him. He's the director. I'm the act. I take direction. Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to play by rules other than my own? What what pushed me in that direction, I knew my rules get me in a lot of trouble. I don't even know what God's rules are yet. 
I don't know what this is going to look like, but it's got to be better than what I'm doing. Yeah? And after a while, I like the effect produced by this. I like this. I'm suddenly walking head up and shoulders squared. My dad used to preach to that, that to me and my brothers. Head up, shoulders square. Head, I, I don't know, how do you do this? I got too much weight on me. And suddenly I'm walking head up and shoulders square. The third step press is God, I offer myself to thee. What my sponsor had me do, a few of my sponsors had me write out the third step prayer as it appears in the book. As it appears in the book, write it on a notepad, copy it. And then they says, underneath that or next to it, write out what you think the prayer is telling you. Your interpretation of it. Because some of the language in the third step prayer, and it's a beautiful prayer, is different language. God, I offer myself to thee, to build with me, to do with me as thou wilt. A lot of us don't talk like that. So what is the prayer telling me? And I would write that out and it became my prayer. God, I offer myself. This is interesting language here. We talk about selfishness and self-centeredness. This is the root of our troubles. Self, we need to be rid of self and all the manifestations of self. God, I offer myself to you. This thing called self, this troublemaker, I'm giving it to you. To build with me and to do with me as you want. Take me like the wretch I am. Take me like the sinner I am. You do whatever you want when my hands are off. You mold the clay. It's going to hurt. I'm going to feel uncomfortable. I'm going to probably negotiate with you along the way. But keep, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Relieve me of the bondage of self. I'm in locked into this thing called self. And all the manifestations. I'm asking, I'll relieve me of the bondage of that thing. I'm, tie- I'm duct taped to a chair. And no God's the only one who can get me out. Why? So I can better do your will. Not to make me some popular, famous, and an anonymous program. You just got that one. That just landed, that joke just landed. That I may better do your will. Take away my difficulties. What current difficulties do I have? I got bondage to self. I got difficulties. You know, I keep repeating the same thing over in certain areas. I'm attached to certain things. I'm getting bad results. I can't free myself of that. I'm asking God, hey, that victory, that guarantee me, victory over them, that that's going to happen. I can be living proof to the next drunk that God works. And there's no amen at the end of that prayer. There's a reason. I'm going in now. I'm about to go in, embark on this journey of the searching, fearless, and moral inventory discussion with someone else, four and five. Or, you know, we have four right into five. And then we have six and seven. And we're going to go out in eight, nine, and repair all of this stuff. And I have just a few minutes. I just want to share, um, you know, Lord, page 62. It says, this is how and why of it. First, we had to quit playing God. Why? It didn't work. First, first uh, um, next, uh, we decided hereafter in this drama of life, God's going to be our director. He's the principal. We're his agents. He's the father. We're his children. Most good ideas are simple. If something is deep, it doesn't mean it has to be complicated. And because something sounds really complicated, it doesn't mean it's deep. God's going to talk to me in a very simple language. Like we would, if we had little ones, we would talk to them in a language they can get, they can understand, they can grasp. You know, these nursery school and preschool, those people who work with the kids, they talk to them in a very deliberate, easy language that kids can understand. That's how God's going to talk to me. He's not going to give me some, some deep, you know, esoteric stuff when I got 30 days. 
I just about pronounce my own name with 30 days. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept or idea was the keystone right in the center of the archway of this new and triumphant arch to which we pass to freedom. It's a promise. I'm going to pass to freedom. Now, here's where it gets really cool. When I sincerely took this position, he's the father, I'm the child. He's the principal, I'm the agent. All sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. I work for God. And being all-powerful, he's going to provide me with what I need if I keep close to him and perform his work well. I don't have to get close to be close. It's awakening, a realization, aha moment, how close God has been all along. Perform his work well. Just help other people. That doesn't have to be an AA. I'm not be ready to sponsor yet. But maybe outside I can help the old lady cross the street sort of thing. I got 50 bucks in my pocket. There's a homeless person. Give him five bucks. Please God by helping others. Maybe I can get to home group a little early while Mike and the guys are setting up and say, what do you need? It's that simple. I'm already close to God. I will wake up to it. He's going to provide me with what I need. Not what I want, but everything I need. Established on such a footing, I became less and less interested in myself. On page 62, it's all about me. Now it's less about me. Interested in myself, my little plans and designs. You know what begins to happen? I lose interest in me. It's boring. I know my story. I've seen my movie. I've seen 100 reruns. It's boring. Me and the noise in the head. Here we go again. This is, this is like I've been down this road. Now I want an, an audience to pour out my soul. So they go, poor guy. It's boring. I'm going to be more interested in helping other people. This is a soul thing going on. A servant's heart begins to happen. More and more I became interested in seeing what I can contribute to life. As I felt new power flow in, thank you God, because I'm out of power. Agnostics in a previous chapter says, lack of power is my dilemma. I'm empty, cause on empty, now here comes some new power. As we felt new power flow in, I enjoyed peace of mind. Now, it's interesting why they say peace of mind when we're talking about the mind is the predator. The reason why I'm having peace of mind because I'm starting to operate out of the soul. The mind is not a voting member anymore. It's there. And when it talks, no one really listens to it. I don't listen to it. And the less I listen to my mind, the more I have peace with it. It's not, it's not a governing body. It's like, oh, here he goes again. All right, you're done. Good. Have a nice day. Let's get back to business. That's what it looks like. Because if I give one narrative a little room, it begets another narrative. And another narrative. Now I'm traveling heavy. Now I'm all jammed up and I'm the only one in the room. As I felt new power flow in, I enjoyed peace of mind. I discovered I could face life successfully. I'm not there and I'm not there. I'm not past and I'm not future. I'm here. As I became conscious of God's presence, I'm not unconscious to God, but I'm starting to have consciousness to God. I'm awake to God, conscious contact with God. I'm thinking about God. I'm leaning into God. I'm talking about God. I'm cultivating faithfulness. I'm interested in people who are talking about this. I haven't even done a fourth step yet, but something is shifting. Now, some of this will happen to us sometimes in four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, but the seeds have been planted based on my willingness. I began to lose my fear of today, tomorrow, hereafter. I was reborn. Tremendous information. 
great promise. I'm going to get reborn, not pop back into mama and pop out again, but reborn in spirit, awaken a new person. But I need to do some other things. And on that decision, when I got up off my knees, when we read next week, it said next we launched on the course of vigorous action where this third step can start to, 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 to work in my life. Now, I remember the first time I did a third step with my sponsor. You know, I'm willing to let go of everything, and I'm thinking it's basically booze and other things. I didn't know they meant the whole, my whole being. Was I willing to have God be everything or else he's nothing? God either is or he isn't. And I did a third step with my sponsor, and I was a little nervous doing it. You know, I always joke about this. I went to his apartment, and, you know, this rough, tough guy from, from Brooklyn, from Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, you know, Tony. Um, although everyone in Brooklyn's named Tony, um, uh, I walked in and, and there were candles on and the lights were dim. And we went into the living room. I said, "Okay, what did I get myself into? Where are we going with this? Got candles burning." Um, and we went into the center. We got on our knees, and he closed his eyes. He held my hands. I had one eye open just in case, and we held hands. And I I knew the third step prayer. But now I'm really nervous, you know, and I know when I do sponsor guys now, they do the third step, they're, they're jumping all over the place. So uh, he says, God, I offer myself to you, and I followed him to build with me, do with them, and so on. And when we were done, we got up off the floor, and we sat down at his table, and we opened up the book, and he says, next, we launched out a course of vigorous action. Now, years later, there's something in the third step that says, we thought well before taking this step, after the third step is written. So there was a gentleman, Don P., what he would do is say, I want you to sit with that for a couple of days before you do this, because God really thinks you mean it. Do you really want to turn? Do you willing, are you really willing to have your life be none of your business? There was a gentleman I heard, he's passed on, a uh, uh, real old timer, and he said something. I was listening to his CD in the car, and I almost stopped the car when he said it, and then it made perfect sense. He says, our job... Oh, he said, my job is to not take care of myself. Now, that went against everything I was taught. You got to take care of yourself. My job, he says, is not to take care of myself. He says, that's God's job because when I look back on my life, me taking care of myself, I wind up in bad places. My job is to seek God. That's my job, just to seek God, and God will take really good care of me. And that's what we're about to do here. I'm turning my will and life over to the care of this God, as I currently understand it, because me caring for me, I get drunk and disorderly. I wind up homeless. I get arrested. I break, I, I break uh, relationships. I break hearts because I'm not a good guy. It's all about me. I'm selfish, self-centered, self-seeking. I can do that sober. So I'm going over to God for his care. You nurture me back, Joe. You make me a reflection of you. Big Book says we're agents for God. You know what an agent does? An agent represents the principal, like in a brokerage firm. Well, athletes and celebrities, they have agents that represent them. We, our book says, we're about to go represent God, not just for an hour at Alcoholics and God from 7.15 to 8.15, but tomorrow at 2 o'clock when I'm in Publix and the old lady gets online is counting change and coupons and I'm in a hurry. God's in line, move out of the way. <laughs> what does that look like? Or the newcomer's out there and she's flirting with me. What do I want to do about that? Turn her over to Marion and the rest of the girls before the wolves gobble her up. What does that look like? Hmm? I'm spending a whole lot of time at the hard rock at the crap table. 
spending my mortgage money, but I'm going to go tonight and speak about step 11, how spiritual I am. What does that look like? So I need to surrender all of this stuff. And the longer we're sober, if I'm not careful, my ego will reemerge and start doing my thinking for me, and I don't even know it. You say, what's going on with him? And I say, what's your problem? You know, I didn't ask you to take my email. You know, we're defensive. We get, you don't talk about my stuff. I won't talk about your stuff. And we both go off the, off the cliff together. So am I willing to turn my will and life over to care of God as I currently understand them? It's not so much of a leap. It looks like one at the beginning for some of us. It's really not a leap. It's kind of like this. Do I want to continue to wreck my life drunk or sober because I can't manage my own life drunk or sober? that no human power could relieve my alcoholism. I've experienced, experimented with a human power, was called horror, that doesn't work. That God could and would if he, he was sought, am I willing to seek him so I can tell you that God can and has? Am I willing to do this? I'll try it. Because if not, I go back to doing what I do. And when I look in the mirror, that guy or that woman looking back at us never lies. When we go eyeball to eyeball in the mirror, the reflection never lies. We make eye contact with ourselves in the mirror. I used to give guys the mirror test. Let's go look in the mirror. Tell, me, tell the mirror the lie you're telling me. See how far you get with that one. The reflection never lies. How am I doing? Based on my track, I knew what my track record was. It was deplorable. Not, I'm not the worst guy in here. It was not good. I got an F on a report card for life. This has to work. It better work. By the way, here's where some humility might come in. This has to work. It's got to work. Because if it doesn't, I'm in serious trouble. Please, God, make it work. I know me running my life doesn't work. I'm in serious trouble. I can't do anything right. Please make this work. There's a spirit of humility. I'm leaning all the way in. God, please make this work. You know what? That kind of sincerity will like, oh, experience God's mercy. Humility and discipline will come from suffering and pain. I'm willing to be disciplined. I'm willing to be structured. I'm willing to be taught. I'm willing to be moved because my way doesn't work. That's some of the spirit of step three. And we follow through with that with four. So God has us writing a fourth step and suddenly I'm sitting in front of a sponsor. Some of us do group, sit in front of a group and do it. And we swap fifth steps. Where's that coming from? I'm opening up my life to this, to this, to this sponsor. I'm giving away a sex conduct inventory to a sponsor. I didn't even know this person. But God says, keep going. I got I, both of you guys in the palm of my hands. And at that point, I'm sitting in six and seven, willing God to go in there with the fist of Gullah and, re, Gullah and reach out, re, reach in and pull out whatever poison's left. And then I start showing up in nine with hat in hand with a spirit of humility at this point saying, I have wronged you. I'm clear on that. I hurt you. I'm here to make it right. I don't want to be that guy anymore. We have a new person sitting in an AA meeting, sitting with their family, sitting at a job, driving on 95. That's the real miracle, driving on 95 and not getting pissed off. Now you've enlightened. You're a guru now. Um, so it starts here. That's all I got. Peace.
Okie doke. Let's thank Peter once more. Yeah. I believe David is our secretary today. Excuse me, uh, you're a recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition that states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Uh, we also have QR codes on the back of some of the chairs in case you want to um, contribute through Venmo, and uh, there should be a Venmo QR code on your screen if you're joining us on Zoom. Um, and I have asked Brian to come up and read the recovered statement. Let's give him a hand. Hey, Brian. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Um, <clears throat> We read this notice to explain why many people in this uh, in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering, and what it is what it means exactly to be a recovered alcoholic. Nineteen uh, forties style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Is there anyone in the room who needs a sponsor? Uh, please raise your hand. Um, and if you're too shy to do that, please uh, come up to the front of the room at the end, uh, stand around awkwardly, and somebody will, um, you know, come up and talk to you, hopefully, and, and we'll get you uh, sponsored up. Can the recovered alcoholics in the room raise your hands? Okay, if your hand isn't raised, uh, we'd like to suggest that you hang out with those whose hands are. So Intergroup uh, is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Uh, it's also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing uh, meetings into places where people like us can't get out to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize uh, the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Uh, that is the second Saturday of every month at 10 a.m. Uh, do we have anybody from BCIC in the room tonight? Okay, you can talk to Peter at the end if you're interested in uh, doing that kind of service. Um, 
So the second gratitude dinner planning meeting will be held on, wait, that's already passed. Okay, and for a limited time only, uh, subscribe to the Grapevine magazine for a year and get a free book from aagrapevine.org. October 27th to the 29th is the second annual Bull in a China Shop Corral, which, as the name suggests, uh, is a men's 12-step surrender gathering. Flyers in the back on the literature table. And um, if, you don't, if you're not in a rush to get out of here, uh, we'd appreciate uh, your help in setting up some tables and chairs uh, in the back of the room at the end. Um, and of course, there's uh, the counterpart to this meeting, our Monday night uh, step study meeting, uh, where the big book comes alive. Uh, join us for fellowship at 6.30. Uh, the workshop stops at 7.15, and that is on the third floor of this building. Uh, also, um, I think I lost my place, but we have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. Uh, Again, we meet every Thursday, starting promptly at 7 p.m., and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you. We have tonight's session and all the past speakers' podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to again invite everybody to our Monday night big book study. And those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Please join me with the Lord's Prayer seated. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. See 
the light. Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night, and I dream now. Yeah, I dream now, and everything's alright. <laughs> oh man, going on ten years old that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Thank you very much.